the biggest sports stories of the week. So when I get my hair cut, they wax my ears, they wax my nose, okay, and they wax my eyebrows every time I get my hair cut. Okay. I literally have one eyebrow, and I've had people trip over my nose hairs. Okay. It's embarrassing yeah. when someone trips over your nose hair. Yeah, that's that's not, cool. not cool. Unique and compelling analysis and opinions when it comes to your favorite teams. Then he, he said, I don't want to be a bum. He doesn't want to be playing and not be good anymore. And I I think that is a legitimate concern for him. And I think this for year, for Rodgers. For the MVP yeah. of the NFL again this yeah, year? Right. Is he really going to be I think Aaron Rodgers should be in the uh, conversation as well for executive of the year. <laughs> Plus some fun with pop culture. Man, that might be is the round, the quarterfinals. That's the metal no, round. Not. No, Wait, can we, do we get Matt, get, call Matt Hamilton right now. Because we got to find out. This is Sunday Karma. Well, all I can tell you is I picked way better than you throughout this, Ben. So you got lucky that I have a life and I couldn't get my picks in a few times because I clearly picked way better than you. Now, live from the Gruber Law Office's One Call That's All studios at Radio City. The whole, uh, you know, Harper is the co-host. She hasn't been here in a year. She doesn't deserve that uh, love. She should get bumped. Here's GKB founder and CEO, Craig Karmason. <laughs> Oh, come on. Not fair. We got too much today. Only two hours. And then July comes to an end. Does that mean summer's okay? Summer's, summer's not coming to an end yet, right? We Like, we're not thinking that way, or are we feeling that way with August uh, on the horizon? It's winding down, Oh, Craig. don't say that. It is winding nah, down. You got August, and then all so. of a sudden September. Nah, September is going to step up this year. It was decent last year from what I recall. September is going to do its thing. And with the Brewers and your Badgers. Yeah, they're your Badgers. Yeah, it's like half your family's on the team there, well, right? There, there, we got a couple. There's this our, our Badgers. The Badgers have a, a great part in history in this in the GKB as we go to 25 years. Yes. And so uh, next that was great. Tomorrow starts GKB month that we'll be celebrating as a company as uh, we hit our 25-year anniversary of uh, being a company. So that's, that is really exciting. As I said, so much to do today because, like, there's, everything's going on, right? So the Brewers are in uh, Boston, and um, how about the Brewers in Boston? I got you. Gotta love it, right? I mean, we're. I'm sure we're gonna hear from Boston Kyle at some point today because he can't be too happy. We we know uh, we know Kyle Denial, who loves every Wisconsin team, which is your actual true identity, which believes that every season and every year the Brewers and every single Wisconsin team is gonna win every championship. Kyle Denial has to be feeling very good about the Brewers this weekend. But Boston Kyle, your alter ego with a sharp Boston accent. I'm actually not even sure. Is Boston Kyle White? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, I have to ask him because uh, uh, regular Kyle in denial has never been to Boston, so he doesn't know what black people in Boston sound like. Okay, all right. Maybe maybe there needs to be an adjustment made there. Okay, so all right. Well, we'll, either way. You tell me. You've been to Boston. How how do black people sound in Boston? You know what? It's a good question. I've been to Boston many times, and I've never heard a black person in Boston with that sharp Boston accent that, like, that Boston Kyle has. That's why it kind of throws me off a little bit. I mean, I, got, I could be white. You can identify whatever you want nowadays. So <laughs> I'm Boston saying, Kyle, you want to identify. So, you know what? We'll ask Boston Kyle because we definitely need to catch up with Boston Kyle today because the Brewers are in Boston getting a little revenge after the Bucks. Not that it really makes you feel any better about the Bucks, but whatever. At least uh, Wisconsin team going and uh, taking care of business in a legendary venue. So, not only will we hear from Boston Kyle, but we want to hear from you because. Fenway Park is definitely one of the coolest places to see a, a sporting event. Um, and I'm wondering what is the coolest place you've ever seen a game, right? Could be any sport, could be uh, because of the crowd, could be because of the venue itself. But what is the coolest place you've ever seen a sporting event? Hit us up on the old National Bank Talk and Text Line, 800 990 That's 800-990-3776. 3776 in honor of the Brewers, Brewers playing at Fenway. What's the coolest place you've ever uh, seen a game? Now, two other things that we're going to be hitting today. And I know I'm going to overwhelm you right off the top, but let's stick with baseball. So I moved here 
Uh, we said 25 year anniversary. 1997 was uh, was when I moved to Wisconsin. But the first full baseball season I got was 1998. Kyle, you remember what happened in 1998? Bomb. Um, and so yeah, well, that was that was yeah. Well, the the juicers were uh, bringing baseball back, right? Yeah. So that was going on, and that was the biggest thing ever. Now I understand those guys were in the NL Central. So, like, from a Brewers standpoint, they were, like, every day, it seemed like, hitting four home runs against the Brewers. like, And so they were constantly playing against them. But what Aaron Judge is doing right now for me is so unbelievable and so incredible. But I grew up as a Yankees fan, and I'm, you know, now I'm uh, the Yankees are on my radar still. They're not my favorite team anymore. But I'm, like, enthralled by what Aaron Judge is doing. But my sense is... People don't seem to care very much compared to, you know, what we've seen in the past. And if the idea is that, you know, home runs are harder to hit today than they were for many years, right? People are saying, especially even compared to the last few years, the ball might be harder to hit out than it was the last few years. And I think we see it in Brewers games. Like, there's balls that are hit all the time where you think it's gone and it ends up at the warning track or just short of it. So are you into this Aaron Judge thing? Do you care? Because it was such a big deal with McGuire and Sosa. And if those guys, it turned out to end up being, you know, flawed in some way, and same with Barry Bonds, to me, Aaron Judge getting to 60 home runs, getting to 61 to the Roger Maris number, getting to 62 to exceed that, you know, exceeding, you know, Ruth, Maris, like that to me, that's monstrous. But I feel like people don't care. So I'm interested in that. Do you care about Aaron Judge and what he's doing from a home run perspective? He, he hit another one after hitting, you know, 39 and 40 on, on Friday night. He hits 41 yesterday. It's July. And the guy's got 41 home runs. The 42? Oh, so oh, so wait. The 40th was early in the game. Then his 41st was the Grand Slam on Friday night. Then his 42nd was yesterday, which was his 200th career home run. He's hitting them so quickly, I can't even keep up with them. I mean, that that's craziness, right? 42 home runs, and it's July? Like, do you care? Um, which, Kyle, do you care? Well, I didn't know. I'm not going to lie to you. I had no idea that he had. So, I mean, I knew he had home runs because I saw he did not participate in the home run derby. And I was like, why not? Right. Because he was leading the league in home runs. Correct. Yeah. And so I didn't know he was at 42 now. And now, as you put it kind of in perspective, this is a pretty big deal. I just wish it was somebody else. Where was Barry Bonds at on August 1st? Of two, uh, of wait, wait, wait. Why are you saying you wish it was someone else? Just because he's no, Yankee? No, I wish it was someone as in the sense of, because when you talk about 1998, for me, it was Bonds versus, excuse me, it was Sosa versus McGuire, and you had to choose a side. So in my household, we were all for Sammy Sosa. So, you know, when Sammy eventually kind of tailed off and then McGuire kept going, you know, we were cheering for somebody. You had somebody else to go against. But right now, it just seems like it's just Aaron Judge. I don't know why people aren't as excited. Maybe baseball isn't as fun as it used to be. That's what I'm saying. Well, I'm saying I don't know if people just don't care about baseball or that or the records don't mean what they used to because of all the the steroids and it's tough to, you know, to know what's real and all that. But, you know, the record is now 73, <laughs> which is insane. I mean, even if he was on steroids, 73 is pretty crazy, right? The Barry Bonds hit. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, absolutely insane. Because, I mean, I feel like he was being walked constantly that uh, year. A ton. A ton. Right? So that year, he walked 177 times. His on-base percentage was 515, meaning he was on base over half the time. So he was walked 177 times. So he only had 476 at-bats. 73 of them were home runs. I mean, that is crazy. And also, I just want to let you know, on August by August 1st, of 2001, Barry Bonds was only hit his 46 home run. So 46? Yeah. So, oh, so he was five ahead, and he ended up with 73. Judge isn't that far. So Judge can get to, if, even if he gets to 70. No, no, I no. Think, forget 70. I'm saying if he gets to 62. 62. I know you say 62. Like, that's that's a big deal. But for me in my generation, I mean, yeah, I, that, that, 62 doesn't mean the same to me because by the time I was a kid, you have our, I'm eight years old, and Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa, excuse me, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, they already, you know, 
I'm eight and they hit all these home runs. So it's like, oh, now they're the people who I'm looking at. Like, woo, look at all those home runs that they hit. But you and don't then look Barry at Bonds it come, so. from a steroid and all that. Because, yeah, the funny thing about Sosa, Sammy popped from like 25 home runs up to 36, up to 40 in only 124 games, um, 36, then 66, 63. 50, 64. I mean, he had three 60 home run years. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. So that 60 don't, doesn't, doesn't feel that yeah. crazy. Because you growing up, that was the number. So when you saw Bear, excuse me, goodness, I keep saying Bear. When you saw Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa do that, you were probably like, wow, they're going to get it, right? Well, no, I was, yeah. I mean, I grew up hearing like, should like Roger Maris's record even count? Because really? Babe Ruth did it back when there were 154 games in a season, and he had 60 home runs. So when Mickey Mantle was battling Roger Maris in 1961 for the home run record, people didn't love Roger Maris because Mickey Mantle was more the true Yankee. So when Roger Maris didn't get 61 or 60 in 154 games— People were like, oh, that's not even the real record. So Roger Maris has the record, had the record at 61 home runs, but that was a 162 game season. So people didn't want to give him credit. Now, I wasn't alive for any of that, but still, as a Yankees fan, I would hear all the time some people be like, yeah, the Yankee record, 60 by Babe Ruth in 154 and 61 by Roger Maris in 162 because they felt like Babe Ruth still deserved that love. So now, and by the way, like people cared about this stuff. Like now, people don't care about baseball records. No. Like that was a big deal. Now, like between Sosa hitting it three times, McGuire, I guess being the first to break 61 during that season. Because he, he hit 70, didn't he? He got there first, right? And then he got to 70. Is that what happened I in 98? I thought he ended at or was it almost? I, you know. Yeah, he. I know. I'm pretty sure he got to 71 year. So he got to 70 in 98. Yep. And that, and then he got to 65 the following year. So Sosa ended up doing it three times. He did it twice, but he got to 70, and then Bonds got to 73. But all three of those guys are, you know, now admitted, you know, guys who were breaking the rules at the time, right? Yeah, they cheated. Yeah. So to me, if Aaron Judge hit 62, to me, that's there's something about that record, but. I guess that's the question. Do you care? Uh, does anyone care about the home run record anymore? And finally, we're going to dive into this Kenny Clark situation. As Aaron Rodgers came out and made a big statement about Kenny Clark uh, thinking he was either getting cut or traded by the Packers and really giving us more insight into the Packers organization. We're going to talk about that as we continue. It is Sunday Karma, ESPN Wisconsin. You're listening to Sunday Karma with Craig Karmazin on ESPN Wisconsin and WisconsinOnDemand.com. What you say? It's Sunday Karma with Craig Karmazin on ESPN Wisconsin and WisconsinOnDemand.com. I'll have to pack my things and go. So, what you say? Kenny Clark was uh, involved in quite the situation. Not this off, not this uh, training camp, but previously. And the reason this came to light is because Aaron Rodgers brought it up this training camp. Now, last year was when all the drama was going on, right? And the year before, there was some drama. But last year was the, I mean, last year was ground zero of Aaron Rodgers' drama, right? I mean, that was where it got crazy. And Aaron talked about the culture of the Packers needing to change and all that. And seemingly, there's been progress. But Aaron didn't give a lot of examples outside of how some of the former players were treated, which he brought up at the time. But I thought his example this week really was effective because I thought it was super relatable. Here's what Aaron Rodgers had to say this week as he was describing the past of the Packers culture in Green Bay. I think yes. I mean, I think that there was a more concerted effort for him and his staff to be visible and to have 
better relationships with some of the guys. Uh, I think it's important, you know, as much as I respect, you know, the uh, ideology of, of Billy Bean there where he, you know, didn't want to get too close to a guy he's got to get rid of. I think it's easier to get cut by someone that you appreciate, that you can have face-to-face, uh, -face, eye contact conversations and get released by or traded by than somebody that you have zero relationship with. Uh, you know, there's there's funny stories, not funny actually, about like, Kenny Clark coming in, coming in on cut day and somebody thinking he was a different guy who was going to get cut and they told him grab your playbook and head upstairs and Kenny's like what? I, I, I was a first round pick I'm getting cut? This is my third year you know stuff like that just can't happen in an organization that's run well um, because the relationships are the most important thing in this game because that's what fuels the chemistry and the chemistry fuels the cohesion of a team and that makes a difference in those crunch time moments when the game is on the line and it starts at the top and I think there were some great changes that uh, that begin to take place and they're continuing to take place um, and I've really enjoyed uh, seeing this place take a step forward that's exciting to hear right like that's interesting exciting I mean Kyle what was your take uh, I mean and, and when I say interesting exciting I'm saying that there's actual conversations happening and Aaron seeing improvement there. But what was your take when you heard about that? Oh, I just laughed. I thought it was hilarious. And then I read with Kenny Clark, his his take on it. It was hilarious. I mean, it's, it's, it's shame, not shameful, but it's disappointing that Kenny Clark, your first round draft pick, who was only in his third season, that the person who got sent down to go cut him had no idea who Kenny Clark is. And Kenny Clark in his third season was already making plays for the Green Bay Packers. So it's very disappointing. And it shows that the fracture that this organization had. I don't know what philosophy they were going under, going working under at that time, but it's very disappointing. Well, but it's what, hilarious as well. What did I say all last season? Like the the term general manager, which Goody had, includes manager, and I don't know the Packers realized that when they hired him to be general manager. Is that you know you have to manage humans, and I think everyone believes that Goody was a great scout and a great uh, player picker, but was he actually a manager? of other managers and human beings. And I think that's probably the thing that they didn't think about as much that Aaron Rodgers helped bring to light for them. So it's great to see that progress, and it shows Goody uh, willing to uh, evolve as a manager, right, and as a uh, as a teammate uh, within the Green Bay Packers organization, uh, which, is, which is exciting uh, for Packers fans. Now, what I want to know is if anyone has any crazy stories of getting fired. Because, like, imagine Kenny Clark having some kid walk up to him, or or older gentleman. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to be uh, kidist. I don't want to assume it's a kid. Everyone's just uh, assuming it's uh, you know it's it's a child. But uh, you know, I don't want to be ageist. Um, anyone have a good firing story that you've any crazy scenario where you've been fired in? Would love to hear. Kyle, you ever been fired from a job? I've never been fired from a job. I, I've been cut from a team before. What I mean, you know how that goes. Oh, see, but, we used to have but, cuts like old school, which I don't know how. You, so how you do, go, how would your cuts work? Yeah, no, you, Craig, you might be you are you're older than me, but you gotta understand, I'm a '90s baby, and I'm like the beginning of the '90s. So yeah, they still probably paper. like sent them to your smartphones, no, and then like no, come on your now. parents like were there to like you know. No, no, no. I'm surprised they even had cuts in the '90s. 90s, y'all soft it. kids, oh, y'all oh, millennial oh, softies. Oh, coming from the parents that want to give everybody trophies and coming from the man Aaron Rodgers who wants somebody to be able to get to know him because it's better for you to know somebody if you're going to get rid of them to ease the pain and it's easier. Come on now, stop that. Come on, it is. Stop that. That's, That's the reason why kids... You need is, to build trust within an organization. If you get cut, it doesn't matter. And I agree, I would prefer to know somebody, but I mean, I'm cutting you getting cut. It doesn't matter if you know me or know me. You have a job to do. Yeah, no, but that's not you, my style, but I'm just saying. But you you don't think you want to like so okay, so if you you manage people. Yeah. So okay, so if you're if you were cutting someone from your team, you think it's fine after you've worked together for years to just have some random to have Daphne, have the HR person just do it and you not even be there? Well, I would prefer to have something to say and be part of that decision. Right. You would want to be but, there at least. But, right? You'd want to be there. But 
overall, if the organization has a way to operate, if I ha- if if I had to let go of any of the teammates that I have here, it would be tough. I understand like building relationships with people, it makes it harder for the manager to actually get rid of the person because of the connection that they have. That's 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 relatable. So I I see the other perspective of the fact that hey, if I get too close to these players, it makes me emotionally attached to them. That's soft. Come on now, but uh, <laughs> all right. Wait, so ha- what happened when you got cut? Oh, yeah, I got cut just like they used to back what, in the what day. What sport? What sport? It was, it was basketball. It was, uh, was it eighth grade? Seventh or eighth grade basketball. See, well, I must got have cut been... from seventh grade hoops, too. Yeah, it ah. must have been seventh grade. So, Whitefish Bay, they started this whole Whitefish Bay WYBL basketball little local travel team we just basically go out to I think it was Waukesha play okay, basketball. Okay, so this wasn't the school team. This was not the school team. This okay. was this was like the the travel school team, the YBL league or whatever it's called. And so I made the team my sixth grade year, was on the squad. I mean I didn't play like that. I didn't play too much, yeah. but I was on the team. And then the next year I got cut from the team and I found out I got cut because my name wasn't on the list. So you know everybody looking on the list, you just feel embarrassed because your name's not on the list. So you walk into where? Because if it's the, not a school team. So we pra- so we practice in different gyms. So I believe it was the Whitefish Bay uh, um, Middle School gym, either that or some some somewhere like that. And so yeah, I ended up getting cut. Name wasn't on the list. I did I did end up talking to the coaches as well, Mr. Hackney and Mr. Mokehi. And the kid who replaced me was a Mokehi. And granted, he was better than me at the time. But Craig, it's a good story. It ends well. The kids that beat me out did not beat me out my freshman year when I played basketball. I made the team and ended up starting towards the end of the season. So it all came back together. But I got cut. It was it was sucked. I've never been cut before. That's the only time I've been cut. Yeah. See, I got cut in seventh grade hoops, too. And it was like, it was in school. So you get there, I think it was in the morning. Like, you're racing in to see who made the team. Everyone's going because it's up on the board. And your name's not there. You know, and it's seventh and eighth grade. See, so there's only like. school like that with a school team. See, there, there's only 15 spots. You know, and we had like 300 people per grade. So let's see, boys basketball. So between seventh and eighth grade, you're looking at, you know, about 300 potential boys. Not all of them are trying out for basketball, but I, I feel like there was around 15 people on that middle school team. Yeah. So it was hard. If you were in seventh grade, you know, maybe only five, six, seventh graders are making that squad. And you go in and you look up on the board and your name's not there. Oh, it hurts. But that's not fired. I want to know if anyone has a good firing story. 800-990-ESPN. It's 800-990-3776. And we said it. There's a bunch of stuff going on. We have in honor of the Brewers who, by the way, I got to mention Christian Yelich. Um, maybe it's not worthy. Why are you smiling when I say Because this? it's been like three games. Three games of what? Of him changing his, you know, putting a little toe tap in or whatever it is. Are you? Are, is that where you're going? The no, direction no, no. You're going? Okay. Here's where I'm going to go to. So in the month of April... To start the year, uh, Christian Yelich had a 727 OPS. And I'm going to use OPS because that's on base plus slugging, okay? And 750 is what I think of as an average player in baseball. So Christian Yelich was 727, all right? So slightly below average in the month of April. Month of May, 695, okay? So still below average. 750 is average. He was 695. Then you go into June. He was 764, Okay, so slightly above average player all of a sudden, Christian Yelich. The month of July, and we're pretty much at the end, so this isn't two days, this is 30 days of July with an all-star break, I get. OPS of 859. That's good. I guess I was talking about, he's not, he hasn't been hitting well, correct? That's from my understanding from an article already. He hasn't been actually, like, hitting well. So 859, so not only... Is he on base percentage of 429? So that's what's driven a lot of it is is walks, you know. So he's but he's 278 batting average, 429 on base percentage. So he's walking and hitting a little bit. He's only hit one home run. I get it in the whole month, but there's a little more confidence, is what I'm saying, in him coming into the end of the year because I don't think the Brewers can advance in a postseason round if Christian Yelich isn't hitting the ball. I'm sorry. Like that's I think it comes down to that on some levels. The Brewers have shown they have great pitching, but they're gonna need some offense and I don't know where it's gonna come from. Isn't Yelly Yel- the leadoff hitter? Yes. And yeah. so I mean I, I understand you want him to get on base, but I mean, is yeah? I still think you have the perspective that Yelly is your three or four hitter. No, like, no, he's the I'm guy. saying he has to get it going. Like you look at in this series, you know, on Friday night, they win four one. Yelly was two for four. 
um, you know, scored a run, had a double right in the mix. Yesterday, two for five, had another double, walked both days. Like, he's on base three times. They're a different team when he can get on base three times in a year, in a game, instead of in a season. You know, that's what he's been doing. Wednesday against Minnesota, one hit, three walks. Tuesday against Minnesota, two hits, one walk. I mean, the guy's been on base three times or more in the last four games. This is a a new Christian Yelich. This is the old Christian Yelich coming back. I'm telling you, there there's there's something happening here. But in honor of the Brewers being out in Boston, wanna know, wanna know. Coolest place you've ever seen a game. We got three things on the agenda today. Coolest place you've ever seen a game. Do you care about Aaron Judge? And best stories of getting fired. I guess it could be or firing someone, but best uh, firing stories. Let's uh, start out with one of those. Let's talk to Jason, who's a restaurant manager here on Sunday Karma. Morning, Jason. Hey, morning. How are you guys doing today? Excellent, excellent. All right, you got a, a firing story for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the restaurant industry for 35 years, I've uh, fired oh. uh, many people. You have had to have seen to do it. it but... Wait, you've had to have seen it all. Before you get into your firing yes. story, how different would you say the last two to three years have been from the previous 30 plus? It's It's been very difficult. We can't get anybody to uh, get in the industry uh, where you were able to hire a 14 to 18 year old to come host. Uh, table, et cetera, just instantly I'd have stacks and stacks of applications on my desk. Now I have maybe two, and then they don't show. So it's been difficult, and uh, I always try to tell people, hey, support your local family restaurants and not the big chain. They're still making money. It's the mom-and-pop mom places that will always need help right now. Yeah, wait, so when you say they don't show up, are you saying they don't even show up for the interview, or they get the job and they then don't they don't even show, show up? up? They don't even show up for the interview, especially if it's 18 or above. It, it does seem to be that uh, they're just doing their duty to fill out the application, so maybe they can still collect unemployment or COVID relief. I have no clue, but it, it's very, very, very difficult. I send props to anybody who's still in the restaurant industry and is making it happen because it, it is struggling. Um, it, it's tough. It's a tough, tough business. Well, it's funny because I hear from a lot of people like now when they go, like if you order any any food anywhere, like they they flip that iPad around to you and then you're you're paying a tip on stuff that people aren't used to tipping on. And I've told, yes. and I've told people like, hey, I think these restaurants need to do it because they need any way to keep the people uh, coming in. So if, if people aren't making money, even uh, you know roles that didn't used to be tipped, like I think they need every last dollar to just get people to show up for work. I I agree one hundred percent. I mean, even the gold boxes have tripled in prices since COVID. Uh, your oil prices, you know, uh, people got to think outside the box and realize how much more it's costing now to just get the items in to sell. I mean, beef prices up, bacon prices up. It's it's tough. I would never own a restaurant right now, that's for sure. I will help manage them, but no no way I'm going to own one again. All right, give me your best firing story after 30-plus years right. in the industry. <laughs> All right, yeah, so uh, uh, hopefully you understand what uh, uh, a bag-in-a-box soda is. It's what you hook up to the lines to fill up your sodas. Um, it's just pure 100% concentrated syrup in a five-gallon bag. Well, we fired uh, <laughs> we fired a guy who was caught stealing, and uh, normally you're supposed to walk him out the front door. That is, uh, I'd say, uh, about 90% of corporate-structured uh, restaurants, you have to walk the employee out the front door. Well, my manager just fired him, and I was right next to him, so you have to have a witness with you. And uh, fired him. He got all angry. Instead of walking him out the front door, he walked out the back door. Not more than 10 minutes later, we hear the chef screaming curse words nonstop. Um, can't say those on the air. And we coming back, he had taken a knife and stabbed 25 bag-in-the-box syrup containers. <laughs> so there was uh, about 6 to 12 inches thick of syrup spread all over the back kitchen area to the point where they actually had to shut down the restaurant. Um, <laughs> oh. it, it, uh, it took uh, honest to God to get rid of that stickiness maybe two months. It was horrible. They had to press charges against them. Um, it was the most irate fire we had ever had to do. Oh, that my fight. God. That, wait, wait. And, and was the... Was had the person been there a long time? Like, was it a like? Did you guys know? He'd been was, there a couple of years. 
he had been there a couple of years. Uh, apparently, he had been stealing the whole time. I mean, <laughs> if you want me to go more in depth, he literally created his own email um, for uh, point rewards for a restaurant and was using his email on every single person's check. Oh so my God! But that's but that's tens crazy. Of thousands of dollars. You would have thought yeah. though that like if someone's caught like that, they'd want to sneak out the back. They wouldn't want to make a big thing and yeah. bring more attention to it. That's that's what's crazy. And I'm pretty sure that guy got some good jail time because uh, that was it was in the thousands and thousands of dollars for stealing, and then on top of it. Probably a couple thousand dollars worth of cleaning. That it is was horrible. That is angry when you're stabbing the syrup. Kyle was clapping when he heard the syrup getting oh, stabbed. I mean, hey, 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 <laughs> you know what? To come in, I thought you were going to say stab somebody, but come in and be so strategic, say, I got y'all, I got y'all, and just start stabbing a whole bunch of boxes of liquid, knowing the damage it's going to cause or syrup. That was fantastic. It was Great all story. on camera, too. It was uh, all on camera, too. It was angry stab. Oh, did, you, oh but did you all laugh, though, when you watched it on video? You had to. You can't, you can't do anything but laugh. I, I, I totally laugh. I looked at my manager and my boss, and I said, hey, my shift's done. Can I go? <laughs> oh, my God. Awesome story. Thanks, Jason. Uh, speaking yeah. of Jason, we'll go from Jason, the restaurant manager, to Jason, the sports talk host. Uh, it's Jason Wilde who joins us next as we continue Sunday Karma, ESPN Wisconsin. You're listening to Sunday Karma with Craig Karmazin on ESPN Wisconsin and WisconsinOnDemand.com. Jason Wilde is brought to you by Boucher Automotive, where we ride with you every mile. 18 dealerships, 15 brands, and thousands of vehicles in stock. Check them out at Boucher.com. Oh, so much going on. Uh, and Jason Wilde will have insight into all of it. Good morning, Jason. Morning, Craig. How are you today? Good, good, good. We'll start out with the uh, Kenny Clark story. Um, was this week the first you heard of it? I had never heard that story before. So um, we had talked a lot on this show about culture, about the word manager in general, manager. You know, my thought that Goody might be an awesome player picker, but that doesn't make yeah. you a general manager and that maybe the Packers, when they were making their hire, you know, forgot about kind of culture and running an organization versus just finding someone who's really good at picking players. Uh, I thought this story offered really good insight, not only into, you know, how things were, how Goody has been willing to be willing to change, apparently, according to Aaron, but at the end of the day, how the organization probably didn't care about this kind of stuff because Goody's been there, right? Like his whole career, basically. He has, and, you know, look, first of all, I think... And, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean no one that came before him cared about it, but I guess what I'm saying is Mark Murphy and the people who hired him would certainly know who he is, I guess is my point. Like, he's been there his whole career, so if there's weaknesses in his managerial toolbox, that if they knew that, they'd be able to focus on those. Yeah, and, and look, first of all, I think the league has changed through, through all 32 teams. I, I think people understand, you know, and you know this as someone who has run a company for a long time and has seen your approach evolve. Um, people are treated differently now, um, especially in the NFL, where it was very clear cut of uh, uh, since I used Moneyball to end up eliciting that story from Aaron Rodgers about Kenny Clark, I'll use another sports movie. I'll use Hoosiers, in which Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, is talking to his high school basketball team early on in the film, and they have some strife. And what does he say? What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law, absolutely and without discussion. And then at the end of the movie, obviously, Jimmy Chitwood says, I can make it, and he changes the play to win the the, net, the state championship. I think there was a lot of what I say about this football team is the law for the first three quarters of my career. And in recent years, there's been a slight shift to what Rogers wanted to see more of in this building. Now, I think to but, be fair, but don't to you think Goody, there's also the 
Bob Harlan, more of a family business growing into a larger, more kind of corporate entity. Like, I feel like there's different dynamics going well, on, both as the as the league got larger and then our culture changed and maybe got more, you know, uh, employee friendly. Yeah. So there's the more court, you know, Packers potentially getting more corporate at a time where employees in the Packers situation seemingly are wanting and expecting more of a voice. Yeah, I'm, I can't speak to the employee culture for people that are not players or are not in the football operation. Uh, based on anecdotal evidence, though, I would say that that part of the culture is not nearly as good as it was when Bob Harlan was running the organization. So, uh, again, I was speaking purely from a football perspective, and I think that's where the evolution – and it hadn't happened before – or it hadn't happened sufficiently before last year. I mean, you know, again, Rogers was convinced last summer that people can't change. I mean, I don't think I'm betraying too many confidences to say that he and I had that conversation. And I told Tausch this on our show that my, my statement to him was, well, what if you come in and you can affect a change in the culture and they do treat players better than you feel they've been treated like you could not, you go win a couple of Super Bowls before you're done. Come, you come back to this team, you win a couple of Super Bowls and you change the culture. That's a legacy. Um, and he has, there has been, an, there's definitely a shift in the culture. You can feel that. Now I did want to get this in though, because in fairness to Goody and to their operation, uh, Kenny Clark told us about it uh, earlier this week. And he said it was a young guy from the scouting staff that he didn't even know who the scout was. Now, I think the criticism can be maybe you shouldn't have someone so early in their career delivering this message of bring your iPad up, the GM wants to see you. There's no doubt that that's a valid criticism. But how he didn't know who Kenny Clark was, I could see being a young person who makes a mistake. Right, right, right. But that's, again, that's, if you value the teammate, former teammate, fired teammate who could be brought back to the team, whoever that was, who they thought they were firing. I mean, you know, like, I mean, we, for a long time, I probably fired everyone in the company who got fired because I felt like personally it was like on me. We've obviously gotten to a bigger size where that doesn't happen anymore. But, you know, there was, uh, you know, teammates this week where there was a separation and I went and I I was there for it. And the person who tapped them on the shoulder to come meet with me was, you know, was the senior most person in the building. Because we, I mean, again, like if you're including someone who doesn't even know who they are, then that shows someone knows they're getting fired who doesn't even know who they are. Like that's, that. Again, to me, that that hurts, right? That hurts because it's 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 what Aaron said. In my mind, it does show a lack of, you know, of mm-hmm. closeness. And and then when you get in those big moments, I loved everything Aaron had to say about that. But the fact that he said that to you, Jason, should we be reading anything into the Aaron Rodgers Jason Wilde <laughs> relationship? Uh, definitely not. That was. Um... That was in a large group interview at his locker. That was the extent of my conversation with him uh, throughout camp thus far, frankly. Wow. Kyle, any any follow-ups there? I mean, that's the Actually, extent of their note. conversation. I, I took note that Jason asked a question, and he made Aaron feel comfortable enough to be very forthright and forthcoming and give that real answer. So you think that's Aaron kind of throwing out like a, you know, Something to Jason of like because he likes let's, he let's likes mend, Jason. Let's mend this fence with Jason. Like oh, maybe I, maybe is, we're not is he back mad at Jason friends, still? But I, I don't know. I don't know if Jason's mad. I don't even know who's mad at Jason, Jason. To be honest, yeah, Jason. Can you describe the the kind of uh, frigid relationship that you and Aaron have right now? No, I can't. Wow, indescribable. Wildy, uh, I would say the uh, the the. The chat boards and the social media and what do the people call Jason who just take stories and and kind of get the headlines and and use that for clickbait, like the you know, wh- whoever those people are. I think the answer is Jason Wildy says he can't describe frigid relationship with star quarterback. Oh, nice. yeah. I think I think that's the headline that I'm that I'm going with right now. You should go with that. Yeah, let's let's clarify. 
It's not that I can't uh, describe it. It's that I won't. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> On to more uh, delightful situations. So, Jason, the Milwaukee Brewers last week, you called the 82 Brewers your favorite team of all time, the team that mm-hmm. helped make you a sports fan. They're back playing in American League ballparks and playing at historic Fenway Park this weekend. And it's so fun watching them play. They're so fun watching them win two, the first two games. Not that I'm doing it in person. I'm doing it on the television and mostly listening to it on the radio, actually. But, Jason, what is the best, the coolest place you've ever watched a sporting event? And it could be because of the fans. It could be because of the history of the building. It could be because of the technology of the building. Across any sport, when you think about the coolest venue you've actually been for a sporting event, what uh, what comes to mind? Wow, that's a hard one. Um, A couple of them that would make my list. First of all, when the Badgers played in the Rose Bowl in... 99, the 2000 Rose Bowl, 99 Rose Bowl team, the 98 season. Um, we went down to the UCLA campus and the basketball team was practicing and the doors to Poly Pavilion were open. And we walked in, myself and two others, and we watched UCLA practice. And when you think about, I'm not sure they were on top of their game. That might have been Ed O'Bannon's era. But when you think about John Wooden and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton and all those guys and think about sitting there watching the team practice in the same place, that was really cool. Um, I like really old arenas and gyms. So, like, we went to the Palestra in Philadelphia. Um, Those kinds of things are really neat to me. In terms of, like, places that I've covered games during my NFL time, um, before they turned it into a spaceship, and I don't know if they're going to turn it into a dome or not, but Soldier Field, I remember you had to go as a reporter with about five minutes left in the game. The only way to get to the locker room for post-game interviews was you had to actually watch the final few minutes from the field. And so you had to go down through the crowd and get onto Soldier Field. And I remember standing on the sideline with, you know, those columns. And it was just such a historic-looking place in the, in the mid-'90s. And Brett Favre made some spectacular play. It was really loud, you know, on, with the Bears on defense. And he made, I think it was a throw to Antonio Freeman. And the place just went silent because the Bears fans knew they were going to then lose the game. And it was that is one of the coolest things. It's not, it's not a top five venue, certainly at this point, but back then at that time and seeing what happened in that place, that's the other thing that really jumps to mind for me. All right, so from Fenway Park uh, to another baseball story, again, as someone who grew up loving baseball, you know, we remember 1998, all the Sosa McGuire stuff, uh, and then Barry Bonds that came after. I mean, you're you're pretty much my age, and like that 61 number was huge, right? For, for Roger Maris, and there was still talk in our youth of 60 of Babe Ruth because it was 154 games versus 162 games at the time, at least in the New York area where I grew up. So now mm-hmm. Aaron Judge has 42 home runs, and we're in the month of July. Do you care? Um. The fact that I wasn't aware of that would, I suppose, answer that question. Yeah, that's what Kyle said, too. Kyle had no idea. I mean, the guy has 42 home runs, and it's July. This would be the story of the summer. I mean, I guess it so probably it speaks because... to baseball more than anything else, because this is happening in New York, which you'd feel like would everyone be like, oh, that's all they talk about on SportsCenter. That's all they talk about here or there. But obviously, it's, it shows where baseball is right now, right? So I wonder, I guess my question, Kyle, I'd be curious if you take it this way. My thought is, is that the excitement, because I remember the summer of 98, like I was on the Packers beat, but like during training camp, we would go out to dinner after we got done writing and everywhere you went, even like a normal, like an Italian restaurant had a TV on in the bar following Maguire or Sosa, whoever was playing at the time you were in the restaurant. Like this was like, people weren't having conversations. It was was like the era now when people are looking at their phones before that happened, like you would be sitting. I remember actually going on a date 
And both the girl that I went out with and I were more interested in seeing Sosa or McGuire at bats because it was, it was mid to late August and they were cutting into other games to show their at bats. Yep. And that was more of a, that was more of a discussion or that was more interesting than we were to each other. So uh, I wonder if the fact that that all then was tainted the way it was, has reduced the amount of interest early on. In I mean, 42 is still a long way from, what does he have to get to, 73 to break bonds? I, I don't know, record? though, but I, for me, I look at it as, and maybe it's just that he would then have the Yankees record, but I look at if he hits 62, I think there's a pretty strong argument that he's done something pretty unique. And I'm not saying he has the record, but with Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa all having, you know, been proven to be, you know, you know, breaking rules while they did it. I mean, I think there's something special to me about 62 even. Yeah, I would agree. And and now I'll pay a little more attention now that you've filled me in on that. I have a few uh, Yankees fan friends that I'm surprised haven't been updating me like Matt Schneidman from The Athletic. But uh, 42 and it's still July. You're exactly right. This is something that and again, I don't watch a lot of sports centers, so maybe they're tracking it a lot more closely, and I'm just not seeing it. But I feel like this is something that should be have created more of a buzz already than it has. And so, the fact that Kyle and I are not on top of it tells you something. Yeah, the only people with more than 61 home runs have ha- happened between 1998 and 2001, and were three times Sosa, two times McGuire, and one time Bonds. So, I mean, that's a pretty fishy scenario right that like in yeah. six you know in the last 61 years it's happened uh it happened six times all within three years by three different guys who all were proven to be cheating at the time i mean that's and aaron judge right now is 10 home runs ahead of everybody else in the league all right so uh, before we uh let you go jason a, a few uh things uh i guess uh, some players have already jumped out at you in training camp, uh, especially at the wide receiver position, tell us uh, tell us who's making plays for the Packers early in training camp. For sure, Romeo Dobbs. Now they're going to put shoulder pads on tomorrow, and then full pads on Tuesday. So this is just like when Donald Driver was doing this sort of thing as a seventh round pick in 1999. He's got to take it to the next level. But he has really Romeo Dobbs has been. One of the most. Wait, and who is Romeo Dobbs? Before you get into Romeo, who is Romeo Dobbs who's doing this? Uh, well, he's Tausch's guy. Tausch has claimed him as his guy, which was bold. And now Homer uh, has anointed him as he's going to be their leading receiver this season, I think. Uh, he is a fourth round pick from Nevada. Um, factoring into this is the fact that Christian Watson, who was their second round pick, the first of their three wide receivers they selected. Uh, had a knee scope after the off-season program, and we don't know when he's going to start practicing. There's a possibility he could start the regular season on the PUP, so he he might not practice at all in camp. So in the in that vacuum, but Romeo Dobbs has just been terrific. He makes a, at least one play a day, and while you obviously have to do more than just make the attention-grabbing plays, uh, Tausch has talked many times about the importance of that, but he's got to now do it once they put the pads on. So we'll see what he can do or what he can parlay this into on Monday and Tuesday and then into the preseason. The other people that have stood out, uh, Rashawn Gary, again, they're not in pads yet. So remember that, but he has been uh, pestering slash attacking Aaron Rodgers on passing plays pretty darn consistently. And for Tausch, who believes that he is an elite pass rusher already, um, He's awfully close to proving that he's got to do it in the games. And then one other name that's worth mentioning is a kid named Zach Tom. He is their other fourth-round pick, and he's got a little, and I'm going to say this very carefully, he's got a little Bakhtiari to him. That Bakhtiari, as a rookie in 2013, as a fourth-round pick, came in and was got off to such a strong start that they were working him in with their starters at guard, even though he was a tackle, because they felt... This guy's good. we got to get him in the lineup. And then by the end of the second week, Brian Balaga tore his ACL and in family night, and David Bakhtiari, as a rookie fourth-round pick, had to become their starting left tackle. So those are 
three names that have stood out during the first four days of practices. Wow. Uh, you mentioned Bakhtiari, and that was, that was good stuff, Jason. Uh, you mentioned Bakhtiari. Since the last time we spoke, word came out that there was a second procedure. And so now as you look at Bakhtiari and his timetable, what do you, uh, what do you expect uh, his 2022 to be right now? Yeah, so we saw him yesterday uh, doing rehab outside during practice for the first time, which does qualify as another step forward. Uh, I think he is hoping that because of when they did this surgery, um, that there's a chance he will be ready for the opener. That's their kind of optimistic mentality on him right now. But, you know, I've said this a couple times this week, and I really do think it's important to say they, they, they are at least the fact that he had to have this second cleanup procedure in the aftermath of his original reconstruction of his left knee. Um, I think at least that helps explain why he's not ready to practice. If he was just having swelling and inflammation and fluid uh, still this long without having had another scope in between, I think that would actually be worse. So he feels really good. He says this is the first time his knee has felt normal since the injury. He said it's not the ACL that's any any longer the issue. It's some other stuff that is going on inside of his knee. That's why they did this surgery. I think it's reason for uh, hope and optimism when initially I think it was, oh, no, here we go again with him. I actually think that this surgery might have sped up his timeline, and that obviously would be uh, extremely good news for them. So he's starting week one? Are you making me put any portion of my salary on that? No, you're not. Okay, then yes. But if I had to wager amount of money that I value, I would say I'm not willing to do that. Okay, so that's, uh, I mean, and I think we know, like, in the regular season, it's probably not that big a deal, right? Like, we've, we've seen them play, you know, extended, extended stretches now multiple times without him, but we've also seen them lose in playoff games that they should win and the offense underperform without him. So I, yeah, think... I think the problem, I think the problematic part, Craig, is that they're not going to have a, a Elton Jenkins for the opener. He tore his ACL on November 21st. There's no way they're going to clear him, especially after what they've been through with Bakhtiari and they cut their veteran right tackle. So they're still trying to figure out who's playing right tackle. And as of now, they don't have Bakhtiari, they don't have Jenkins, and they don't know who deserves to be the right tackle. So I think they're in a more dire offensive line situation not than they it. were last year. Yeah, I'm not yeah, buying it. I, think- I, I just feel like that's happened both in the Favre and Rodgers eras. And, like, a few times it's cost them a game or two. But, like, wasn't even, like, when Tausch, like, stepped up, like, when they were, like, a disaster, like, really early on because of injuries? Like, I feel like when you have an elite, elite quarterback in regular season games, it might cost you one game, but then you just kind of figure it out through game planning, you know, in the regular season. Uh, Unless... I mean, obviously you don't want to hurt. You don't want to get your quarterback hurt, right? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Unless there's a Shane McClellan or a uh, Anthony Barr situation and he ends up breaking a collarbone, then suddenly our conversation about their offensive line problems takes on a very negative tone. Right, which I feel like that could happen with any player, right? Like there could be one player gets Mm. beat, whether you're good. I guess less likely is fair point. Less (laughs) Less likely, likely. yes. Yeah, less yeah, likely. Fair enough. All right. Well, so it sounds like uh, things are already happening in July. I'm sure August uh, will be an exciting month. Uh, less drama than last year, but always a lot going on, especially g- given Jason's no comment, uh, you know, when he was asked about, uh, <laughs> you know, a certain relationship. So lots going on in That's Green an Bay. Conversation. We will, yeah. we will conversation. We will keep on top of the biggest issues in Green Bay as we were on it this morning. Uh, thanks so much. Jason. All right, guys. Take care. Be good. There he is. Jason Wildy at Jason J. Wildy on Twitter. Wildy and Tausch, 9 to noon, every Monday through Friday. We have 7 at 11 every Sunday. And that's next on Sunday Karma, ESPN Wisconsin. This is Sunday Karma with Craig Karmazin on ESPN Wisconsin and WisconsinOnDemand.com.